So good morning. I'll get this started. It is, that was beautiful. Worship team, thank you. That was just awesome, wasn't it, worship this morning? Such a beautiful presence of God this morning. It's lovely. Um, so thank you guys for leading us so well. So I'm, um, it's been really lovely actually last week or so. I've had a few conversations with people who have just been sharing how this first part of this message that I gave a couple of weeks ago has been like a source of conversation in connect groups and, and just in conversations that people have been having. And it's been really nice to see how um, God has just been stirring hearts and speaking to people through it. Because I do think it's a word for us. It's quite significant. It's really interesting, isn't it, that at the back of what I said that, that the summer camp, our youth went to summer camp and their whole theme was around Daniel and being a trailblazer like Daniel was. So God's clearly saying something. Um, and I'm really excited to bring you the final part, part two. So this is responding to a shifting culture, part two this morning. I have images, I have all sorts kicking off, so Annie's going to get us started up on our first slide. Um, and I just really hope this inc- encourages you. I'm gonna, really going to be talking around Daniel 2 and 3. Um, and I think, I think this is really timely for the season that we're in, and I, but I really believe this is going to really stir your heart and encourage you um, and, and help you, I suppose, practically with how we walk and how we journey well through the season we're in and the culture that we're in. It's really, really, um, this is really, really good. So hopefully you're going to really be blessed by this and it's going to really encourage you. So if we just go to the beginning of where we were just kind of two weeks ago, just a quick recap. We were in the book of Daniel and we basically honed around Daniel 1. Um, 600 years before Jesus, and at this point, the Babylonian Empire was forcing Hebrews to adopt their culture, to adopt their language and their beliefs, and Daniel and his friends, who were teenagers at the time, um, had made a decision to honor God and to follow God to the point of refusing to assimilate into the Babylonian culture. And the Babylonian culture was trying to, or the king himself in particular, was trying to change their identity. He renamed them all. Um, He was trying to force idol worship on them and get them to break away from their beliefs in God. Um, But Daniel was a spirit-filled teenager. He was a young lad, 16-ish years old, and him and his friends loved God. They knew scripture, and they chose not to defile themselves and not to follow what the king was saying and what the Babylonian culture was saying, even though they would have to challenge and say no to the king, which you can see in that image there, which is what a brave thing, thing to do. It's standing up to the authority of the land, isn't it? And saying, I am not going to do that. I said last time that he didn't do that in a disrespectful way, um, but he did make it very clear that that's not what he was going to do. And so he was a countercultural individual, a Christian who was very much in love with God, and God promoted him and caused him to thrive in the midst of this culture shift where everything was changing, even to the point of what they had to eat. And God gave them great wisdom, and I love um, this scripture here, it says, I'm in Daniel 1.7. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about what the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. So God not only protected Daniel as he made a decision not to follow the culture of the time, but look what God did, what the Holy Spirit did. He began to give them understanding and wisdom. And the king was actually in awe of just the standard of what these guys knew and what they could do. And they were outshining all of the king's advisors. He was relying on magicians and um, enchanters and, and all these kind of dodgy spiritual stuff. He was relying on that 
to get his advice. And yet God raised up these teenagers and they outshone and and outwisdom, that's not a word, um, (laughs) these guys. So it was amazing. And so what we can see in that scripture is that the Holy Spirit was clearly moving in their lives. Okay, because that wisdom came from the Holy Spirit. Their ability to have um, this high level of understanding of, would have come from God. And so not only were they making a decision to follow God, but God was, um, God was promoting them. He was protecting them. But he was also giving them wisdom from the Holy Spirit in how to navigate the culture that they were in and what the king was saying. So we don't have anything to fear about standing up for what we believe and being honorable to God and and following the Bible. God will protect us and God will give us the wisdom. The Holy Spirit will speak to us and give us the words and the knowledge that we need. And people will be amazed at how we journey and what we say if we'll do what Daniel and his friends did. Okay, so I've got to mention an awesome, awesome ignition who are staying in the room. Your little sheets at the back with your pens if you want to do that and your sweeties are ready for you. If you do want to uh, write down three things you learned from this morning, um, please do. You're welcome to. Tanya, there's on it. And I have the sweets ready for you. Everybody else, their stuff in hospitality for coffee time. So the crack on. I haven't forgotten you, but you're not getting Haribos. Okay, so I know. Unless you want to, show me your notes at the end, and then I might give you a little packet of sweeties. If you do that, that would be fine. Okay, so let's go into chapter 2 then. And the story in chapter 2 is that God gives Nebuchadnezzar a dream, and it's really disturbing. Like, he can't, he can't get it out of his mind. It wakes up like he's in, in sweats. He's like proper panicking. And God gives King Nebuchadnezzar this dream, and it literally rocks him. He can't understand it. He's scared by it. And he goes to his magicians and his astrologers, and he says to them, what I want you to do is A, tell me what I dreamt, and then B, interpret it. Now, interpreting a dream is hard enough if they give you the details of what it was. But he was really clever. He said, I'm not going to tell you what I dreamt. I want you to tell me that too. And he was really putting them on the test. test could you, do you actually know anything? And what's really interesting is that they all panic, and they basically say in Daniel 2, there is no one on earth who can do what the king is asking. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. And the king Nebuchadnezzar was so angry and furious that he ordered them to be executed. Brilliant. It's obviously got a bit of a temper, this man. And he ordered them to be executed, and he started having his magicians and astrologers slain because they couldn't interpret the dream. Devil always has like this thing that he's greater and wants to put this thing on that you know that we that he is all knowing. He doesn't know anything. God will always show up. He will always illuminate and show up what the demonic spirits are doing. That they are nothing and they'll pretend to be something. And Lord, actually, they all failed. And what's amazing is Daniel's response. He had such faith in God and confidence in God because he was potentially going to be killed too. Is that he said. Let me do it. He had such confidence in God that God could be compassionate and merciful in this season where the king was going a little bit crazy, that he could go to God and God would give him the dream. Now, why did he do that? Because he'd been relying on the Holy Spirit and seeing the Holy Spirit giving him visions and and dreams already. So he just goes up to the king and says, well, I'll do it. Give me a minute. 
I'll sleep on it, I'll go and chat to God, and I'll come back and I'll tell you not only what you dreamt, but what it means. How amazing. This is a 16-year-old. And he just confidently goes to the king and asks for permission to do that. And he, he talks about, in Daniel 2, about how God will have compassion on him and save the lives of him and his friends. And then he does that. He goes and prays to God, and God gives him not only detail of what the dream is, but exactly what it means. And then in Daniel 2, 17, you see this lovely bit of scripture where Daniel then starts praising God. You can see I've highlighted it there. He, just, he, he talks about how God... Um, is to be praised forever. He is wisdom and power. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness. He knew what was going on here in the spirit realm. And his light dwells in him. And you, God, have given me wisdom and power. Now, this is not something that was just for Daniel. This is something that we can live in. This is exactly how we can navigate our lives is that we can go to God in any circumstance when the pressure is up when anything is happening we don't understand and we feel threatened or we feel fear or stuff is becoming difficult and we can go to God with the the same spirit as Daniel and say God you're God of all wisdom show me show me what's going on here teach me help me show me what's going on and this you know Daniel did that as a 16 year old we can do it too and God will reveal stuff to us and so he praises God, he has this vision, and he goes to the king and he explains it. So I've got an image here of what he saw in his dream. It was a huge statue. And what Daniel did is then actually tell him word for word exactly what he saw in his, his dream and got it spot on. And then he explained what, it, what it's going to be, which is the prophecy part of Daniel. And this is really amazing because um, it's all come true in history. So it says, O king, you are watching, behold, there was a single great statue. That statue was as large of an extraordinary radiance. Sorry, was that statue, which was large and of extraordinary radiance, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest was silver. Its belly was bronze. Its legs of iron and its feet of iron and part of clay. You continue watching until a stone was broken off without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay, and it crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed to pieces at all the same time. And they were like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the earth. So that is what he saw in his dream. And he recounted it. None of the magicians, astrologers could do it. They'd actually all died at this point. (laughs) But there's Daniel literally because God had given Nebuchadnezzar the dream and it was a prophecy of what was going to come so let's have a look at what actually that meant because scripture and history has revealed exactly what that statue is and the head was Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom Babylonians and then it goes on to the basically what he was saying in the dream is that your kingdom is going to come to an end and it's going to be defeated and replaced by the Persians who are then going to be defeated and replaced by the Greeks and then the Romans. What this dream was prophesying, what King Nebuchadnezzar was being shown by God, was what was going to happen in the next kingdoms up until Jesus came. Because Jesus was obviously ministering in the Roman Empire. And it was a prophecy about the future kingdoms that were going to come. And they're all revealed in scripture and in history. They've all played out exactly as the prophecy says. So what that tells me is that scripture is authentic. Because you can look in history and you'll see, I'll put the dates up there, every single 
kingdom has come and gone, just as the prophecy said that Daniel saw in that dream. So, um, you know, history reveals the truth of the word. The word is a prophetic book, but it's also a history book. And you can look at scripture, you can look at historical dates, and you'll see those kingdoms actually happened one over. So this is what disturbed Daniel, because he's basically being told, your reign is about to be over. That's really what the problem, and the other, other kingdoms are going to come. But the other bit that I've, I really wanted to hit on, if you go to the next slide, Annie, is the end of that prophecy, that dream. It talked about a stone, some translations call it a rock, and a mountain. So it says in Daniel 2.44, in the time of these kings, the God of heaven is going to set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, not by human hands, a rock Broke the stone, uh, broke the iron, sorry, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold pieces. This great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. So, the end of this dream, you see this huge stone come out of this mountain and it crushes the statue, and particularly the feet at the bottom, and a mountain then is raised up that endures forever. So what is that? That is the kingdom of God. The rock and the stone is Jesus. Let me prove that to you. If you go to the next slide, you'll see in 1 Peter, it says it really, really clearly. This is talking about Jesus. He is a living stone. He is the stone of Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. He is the stone that builders reject. He is the cornerstone and a stone that becomes a stumbling block and a rock that makes them fall. And if you look in 1 Corinthians 10, 3 to 4, it says there that Jesus or Christ is the rock. So what even Daniel saw in this prophecy was the time which we are in now when the kingdom of God will come and crush all previous kingdoms and it will last forever. And what I love about it in that little, if you go back to the bit with the stone, the stone picture, sorry I'm making jump around a bit, um, it makes it really clear that this is not man-made. All the other kingdoms, the Persians, the Greeks, are all man-made kingdoms, the Romans. They're built by people, um, and often very corrupt, evil people. But this is something that will endure forever, and it's not from man. It's not made by human. It is from God. And it is a kingdom that will last forever and is sure. It will defeat all others, he was prophesying, which is what Jesus did. And it will be forever in, in, in reign. And so this is really, really exciting. And this is where our hope is. As everything's beginning to shift around us and whatever, you know, we're in the era now that's post-Roman. We're in this European rule. Um, and this is the era that this end of the prophecy is talking about, a time when a kingdom will come that will not be moved. It's not made by humans. It's made by God. It is based on a rock called Jesus, a stone that cannot be removed. And that is how we navigate a shifting culture. We live in we stand on a rock and we stay secure in this kingdom that is not going to shift. What's interesting about the other kingdoms that are shown by those different metals in that statue is they've all self-imploded. They've just all failed, even like the Romans, really powerful empire, but they all failed. They all came to an end and it wasn't because of great wars as such. It was because of internal fighting and government issues and poor leaders. They have all self-imploded over history. They've not stood. 
Jesus' kingdom, God's kingdom will last. And that's what we're in, and that's what we stand on. So even as things shift, and as cultures and governments come, etc., we have nothing to worry about because we're standing on this stone. Amen? Amen. Now let me just give you a little bit of encouragement. If you go to the next one, Annie. Um, I did some reading of statistics because I just wanted to, to show you some stuff that really, really blessed me. Um, what's God doing around the world? Well, he's building a kingdom, exactly as this prophecy said. So statistically, year 2000, there were 1.8 billion Christians in the world. In this year, it was classed 2.5 billion Christians exist around the world. In the year 2000, in Africa, there were 348 million Christians. In the year 2023, 718 million. It's doubled. If you look at the statistics for Asia, it's exactly the same. same num- similar numbers doubled in size in 20-odd years and the same in places like China. Look at this, Bible sold in a year, year 2000, 54 million. This year, 95 million Bibles. Come on. He is building his kingdom, and it is incredible. We don't see it on the news. We don't get those statistics. This is what is building. Paul, because Paul's a bit of a master and geography expert, he reminded me the other day, because I'm rubbish at both those things. Um, he said to me, do you need to remember that we are living... So Europe and America are living in less than 10% of the population. We are less, you make up less than 10% of the population. So we have the, can have this Western view of life and see what God's doing just from European or American viewpoint. But it's incredible. It is spreading. Christianity is spreading like wildfire. God's not forgotten us either. Okay? He's building his kingdom. And that's what we hold on to. And it's not going anywhere. Nothing is going to... It's not going to implode. It's not going to fall apart. It is what Daniel saw, a kingdom that will last forever. And we need to get excited about that. God, you are building and it will last. Amen? Okay. So let's go on to Daniel 3. It's just a story that we all know about, isn't it? Nebuchadnezzar then decides that he's going to build another idol, this huge gold statue. And in this picture, you can see loads of people, I hope you can see it, loads of people kneeling down and worshipping it, apart from three boys. And the order went out across the kingdom that when horn, flute, music, harp, etc. were all played, everybody had to bow down and worship this statue. And uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were basically replied to the king and said, we won't be doing that. And there you can see them in the picture, just the odd ones out, <laughs> choosing to stand up. And the king said very clearly, if you don't, you will be killed. Anybody in my kingdom that does not worship this idol, um, you're going to basically be put in a fire. And their response is incredible. They said that if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve will be able to deliver us from it. And will deliver us from your mighty hand. But even if God doesn't do it, we want you to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of God of gold that you have set up. Now, what's interesting about this story is those people that are lying down, or kneeling down, I should say, are like really powerful people. Early in Daniel 3, the king basically orders all of his leaders, so his magistrates, counselors, officials, governors, like everybody who's important in the land, to come down and worship it. So when these three men are saying no to the king, they're not saying it on their own to just to an audience of one. They're actually saying no in front of the officials, the counselors, the mayors, the leaders. It's like a huge crowd of people, like all the authorities are there, and they're like saying to the king, no, we're not going to do it. 
This, how brave is that? And I was just thinking about how many times in our, in our, in our world, so when we were at work with our friends at school, that we, there's a, everybody's saying something that we don't agree with, but the pressure is on to go along with it because you would be the odd one out in that crowd. And it's really easy and it's more comfortable for us to be the one that just goes along with that. So for my example would be in the staff room where everybody's having a go at the leadership um, of our school and moaning about this, that and the other. It's very, it would be, I would look good, if you like, if I went, oh yeah, and I think this is that person. I don't do it. But I, I would be the odd one because everybody's doing it in the staff room. There's 20 people having lunch and it's all cracking on. And the conversations are really not good often. But it would be easy for me, like, yeah, I agree with that. That's awful. Because then I'd be accepted and I would be in the crowd with everybody else. And it would mean I wouldn't have to compromise or stand up. But if I say no, actually, they're doing the best job that they can. And that person's really, you know, I would be really like, ooh. And I've done it. And I get a woo. I get like, ooh. Really? And I get a funny look sometimes. But I've thankfully been there long enough that people don't really, <laughs> don't really try it on. However, but that would be easy. And I was just thinking about, you know, our awesome teenagers, our youth. That is the pressure they're under in their school, amongst their friends, when everybody's saying something, doing something. How, how difficult or hard is it to then say no? Because it's much easier to conform and follow the crowd but we can't do that. We have to be different. So I just wanted to have a little think first of all about why they were able to stand up. And it is down to their relationship with God. So they chose to be obedient to God above what the king was saying, even though they were going to potentially die. And they were going to die in a horrible way, in a furnace. Um, And I love the fact they said that, you know, even if God doesn't do it, he doesn't come through for us. We're still, not, we're still going to follow what God tells us to do. So it's really incredible. But what that tells me is they knew their Bible. It would be Old Testament. They knew their scripture. And their value was honoring God as the one and only true God and not worshipping anything else. And that if they broke, bowed down to this, this idol, they would be breaking the Ten Commandments. I'll show you that in a minute. They'd be breaking what they knew God said. They would be dishonoring God. And they were so in love with God. They were so connected to God that they were willing to even die to stand up for truth. Amen. Let's have a look at what it says in the Ten Commandments. And at the top there, you can see Commandment 1 and 2. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. They would have known that scripture they would have read that scripture over. They would know what God said about bowing down to idols. And so that, that, that scripture, the word of God, was so in them that they were not willing to, to go against it. And then this is amazing. In Jeremiah 42, 11, and they would have read this. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, who you now fear. Do not be afraid of him, declares the Lord. For I am with you, and I will save you and deliver you from his hands. They were standing on that scripture that God had promised and said, don't fear him and I will protect you. And so even though the king was saying, you are going to die, I'm going to put you in a furnace if you don't do what I'm saying. They were standing on the word of God. And so, and even if it didn't happen, they said, you know, we're still going to do it. If you bring up into New Testament, Hebrews 13, 6 says, so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. 
I will not be afraid. What can mere men do to me or mere mortals do to me? And that's what we take comfort in. That's what we hang on to. No matter the pressure. Because that's what a furnace is, isn't it? A a furnace just represents pressure to conform, that you're going to get, something's going to happen to you if you don't do what people expect or demand of you. That is a pressure. To be in a furnace is an example or kind of an, an, an image of really being under intense pressure and difficulty. But the thing is, what do we do when we're in a furnace? Because we all face them. Is do we conform and do what's comfortable to make our life easy? Or do we actually stand and do what God's asking us to do, even if we don't know what the outcome's going to be? Because they didn't know the outcome. They had to say, but if he doesn't, that's okay. We'll just die in the furnace. But we're going to, you know what I mean? Amazing. These are teenagers. This is crazy. So the pressure for Sajak, Meshach, and Abednego was that everybody was watching them. They had an audience. They were standing up to this powerful king. They had a furnace that had been lit. And the king went another level, didn't he? A fire's bad enough. He goes, well, let's heat it up seven times more, just to make sure. Now, one time's a furnace, you're going to burn. And that's it. Seven times, I mean... And even how silly, his own men, his own guards end up dying because as soon as they got close to it, they were all evaporated. So he even kills his own men in the whole process of it. But he was, deter- he was so angry, he was determined that these guys are gonna be, <laughs> were going to be taught a level, level, lesson. And obviously, everybody's watching. So if the king can deal with these three men, he's also sending a message to his kingdom, don't you dare not bow down to this thing because this is what's going to happen. And everybody was watching what was going to happen next. So it was, it's quite incredible. Okay, so Daniel 3 then, the king commands, the command was so urgent, this is Daniel 3, 23 to 27, the king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and these three men firmly tied fell into the burning furnace. They were like wrapped up. They couldn't move. And they were, they were chucked in. And King Nebuchadnezzar leaped, leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, your majesty. And he said, look, I see a fourth man walking around the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth man looks like a son of the gods. And Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And they came out of the fire. The satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed the bodies, nor was their hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. What a miracle. It was absolutely incredible. And I love that. That image of Jesus just in the fire with them. What a risk they took to say, you know, God will do it, but if he's not. And they stood up in incredible faith and trust to stand on what God had said about idols and worship. Um, And there he is, Jesus, right in the middle with them, completely. Not just saving their lives, but not a smidgen of the fire on their lives at all. I remember when John used to live in his previous house, he had a, he's got a massive back garden, like a field at the bottom. He used to have bonfires and, and, and bonfire light, and he'd put a big one up in the thing, and he'd put kerosene on it. He just chucks it on, John. I mean, things going up in like, it's just, it's like yeah, just stick a bit more flame on it, a bit of petrol on it, it's cracking. Um, and we used to go out there with our marshmallows and try and get close enough to, you know, to, but it was too... Well, we were standing around it once, 
And the fl- it was so hot, and it was never, it was not as hot as whatever this furnace would be. And little sparks came out, and one day, Rebecca, um, Paul's sister, it went in her hair and started setting her hair on fire. And we were quite a distance from it, and it just went, her hair went up, um, which is quite, yeah, we managed to, to singe it out. But it, you got, this, these guys are thrown in. It's not even like getting close to it, bound and thrown in. And they're walking around it. They're untied, walking around it, and come out with no smell. And, and nothing singed on them at all. And it's just like, you know, even when this, the furnace of life and the pressure of life comes on us, God will journey through it with us to the point that it won't have any taste on our life anymore. It, won't, it will not harm us. That's what's absolutely crazy, amazing about this story. And look at Nebuchadnezzar's response. What does he have to accept? That there is a true God. The miracle caused him to accept that actually there is a true God. He had had this big statue put up there. Was, they were worshipping this gold image. And the outcome of this whole journey that Daniel has in terms of staying faithful to God is that his witness turns the kingdom and turns the king into recognizing the true God and worshipping him instead. The outcome isn't just that Daniel's life gets saved. The whole kingdom turns around. That's what the real miracle is. And so it's absolutely amazing. And what I also love about this image is, oh, sorry, go back to the other one, is this idea of, um, of trials. The story here is really, really um, clear that what God does is he journeys in trials with you. So often we pray, don't we, God, keep me from this incident or this trouble. We ask God to keep us out of fires, which is a good prayer to have. But actually, God was with them in the fire, not outside the fire. And that's what's really, I think, quite amazing. That they were closer to God in a fire than they were when they were out of it. So we ask God to deliver us from trials. We ask that he would keep us from them. Good prayers to make. But actually, it's in the fire that God's next to you. It's in the trial that you're going through that God's next to you. That's his promise and you come out the other side without it tinging your life or you know, having any impact on you at all. You come out completely free. Amen? So, not that we want trials, <laughs> but you know, we do go through them. And in the midst of that, God promises to literally be with us all the, all the way through. He is in the fire. Um, and so it's a good place to be sometimes, to be in that trial. Okay, so if we go to the last one then. Nebuchadnezzar said... Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servant. They trusted in him. This is what the king is saying. This is what he's seeing. These men, these boys, have trusted in him, and they've defied me, the king. But they were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. This is the king's words. He's recognizing what they're doing. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against God... Our God, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Benga's God, to be cut into pieces and their houses to be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. Their um, faithfulness and obedience to God was really what authentic Christianity is. They stood on the word of God. They would not bow down to culture. They did not change what they believed. Um, even to the point of facing death, they had to trust God in the trial, and at the end of it, the whole kingdom was told, this is 
get that statue down. This is who God really is. Their God, the ones that have protected them in the fire. They were witnesses. They were basically testifying to who God was in their actions. People do notice it. It does make a difference when we stand, even if we're the only one in the room saying something different. I promise you, God will honor you for it. It's nothing, and, and do you know what? what the, that scripture that we said earlier, what can man do to you? Mock you, not be your friend anymore? I don't know. But, well then, uh, they're not friends anyway, are they? But actually, what will happen, the more we have this kind of Daniel spirit, is that it'll, God will turn it around to people saying, well, actually, you said this, and I've seen your life th- flourish, and my life isn't flourishing. Maybe there's something in your God. And that's what, you know, I'm believing for us. And that's what I believe God wants to do. We'll have a furnace experience all the time, probably regularly. We'll have the option to compromise. We'll have the option to do, go the easy way. But actually what God's looking for is men and women who are in love with him, know him, know the word. And even if it's humiliating or to them or, you know, it's not comfortable, they'll say, God, but I will honor you. I will always honor you and put you first. God cannot be mocked. He, you know, the Bible says that you sow what you reap what you sow. And if you, if you sow goodness and if you sow kindness and you keep faithful to God, you will reap the reward. That's, that's how it works. Um, and so, uh, yeah, the story is just amazing. And I just really wanted to encourage you that it is difficult. We are facing furnaces and we are facing the... Um, pressure to compromise and be like the world but don't do it because God will honor you and protect you so I thought why what I could make a list don't do it I thought I could make a list of all the lessons we could learn from Daniel and uh, it's very practical and I decided there's only one and it sums up everything so here it is here's my lesson the fire inside you needs to be greater than the furnace on the outside And that's really what Daniel was. He was burning for God. And that fire was because he spent time in prayer. He knew scripture. He talked to God all the time. The Holy Spirit was working in him. And the more that he was obedient to God, the more the fire grew. So when the furnace came, he was like, no, if I have to go in that, then I'll do it. Because I will not dishonor God. I love him that much. And the way that we navigate furnaces, trials, um, challenges, people not liking us, the difficulties of culture shifting, is that the fire inside of us just needs to be burning bright, brighter. And you'll, you'll journey it, and you'll journey it really, really well. And that, really, is what I wanted to say today. Oh, thank you. So I really hope that encourages you. Um, I know that some of the Connect groups are going to be talking about this a little bit more. So um, that's really exciting. I know Rachel gonna, Rachel's group are going to start looking at the book of Daniel, going chapter by chapter. So that's really exciting. I think they're going to get a lot out of that. Um, but yeah, just be encouraged by it. And um, yeah, don't fear what man can say or do. Um, God will honor you for standing up for truth. And just work on the fire that's inside of you rather than worrying about the furnace on the outside. Don't even give it much thought. <laughs> 